Hello and welcome back to Mind of Success. I'm your host, Moni Millares, a Mexican-British living in Asia. I work in fintech and build digital banks from scratch. In my years in the industry, I've realized most of us are in a vulnerable financial position. However, building a business can be a catalyst for change. So I created this podcast. It's about business stories we do not talk about. I chat with entrepreneurs, CEOs, and experts about their journeys, struggles, and lessons to extract gems of wisdom and practical tools so that we can thrive and create the impact we want. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a wonderful conversation that we will be having today. So today we've got Brett Packard. So he is the founder and CEO of the Packard Network. And basically what he does is he shares all the learnings, leadership, wisdom that he's got in his 30 years, listen, 30 years as an executive in the banking industry across 30 countries. So basically he worked like everywhere. North America, Asia, Europe, Africa, and not just any bank. So we've got like top, top class here. Citibank, 20 years, Barclays, ANZ, like big, big names. So it's not only that he brings wisdom and experience based on knowledge from books, but the real deal life, managing director, like big, big... <laughs> big experience in difficult situations where we, he had to lead big organizations. So what we're going to have today is pure gold. So Brett, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Monica. Thank you. I was just delighted when you invited me to join the program and, and um, I always love the opportunity to do whatever I can to share what I've learned with the hope that it will save somebody potentially years with something if they hear something right and i know that i know you've done that for other people as well and i love to do the same thing we share that common interest so it's great to be yeah. here thank you thank you the pleasure is mine it's an honor to have you here thank you so i have like so many questions for you mm, but i guess like, i'll start with we met through a friend i'm honored to call him a friend uh, mike mike amato and you guys worked together years ago. And then you told me this story that you used to work in a city, basically. And then you moved to Barclays and Mike was your manager. Mm -hmm. But then there was a big change in your style. And you went from being an excellent manager and leader to, well, excellent manager to properly being a mm. leader. And even Mike has told me, like, he saw the transformation. So that's where I want to start. Like, Great. what's the distinction mm. with a manager and a leader? And how, what was the journey for you? Yeah, I think, I think you've, you've set it up quite well. And, um, uh, yeah, you know, ni 19 years I, I go mostly in Asia and, and North America. And then I go to Europe for the first time in a different company that had a different culture and a different ecosystem. And the ecosystem I had been in for 19 years was very much one that cultivated execution, taking action, follow-up, getting the things done that anybody has to do in a business, Monica. And, uh, but, but then when I left that 
ecosystem and and went over mike actually hired me so i so i get get over to the uk in a in a big bank which is why i had taken the opportunity it's an opportunity to lead a lot of people i found after six six or eight weeks that you know I was working hard and the same things that I had done for 19 years, the people just weren't responding. And it was, it was, and, you know, so I kept at it, I kept at it and that, you know, I'm stubborn and I just kept going and going. And Mike took me to dinner, I think. And he said, look, Brad, I don't know anybody that works harder than you do. That's not the answer. And, you know, if anything, you need to work less hard. Right. And uh, but but let me let's have a talk about a few things. So anyway, we we had uh, we had a talk. Unfortunately, I was I'm an open enough person. And, and I think this is one of my strengths that even today I'm open to feedback and I can change. I don't get stubborn. I'm 57 years old. I don't get stubborn with age. Right. So anyway, um, Mike said, look, you know, I hired you. Let's let's uh, figure out a way to uh, make this work, but we're going to have to do things a bit differently. In the so back to your question, Monica, you know, one of the things that I learned on that journey with with Mike and and also through efforts that I did was the difference the key difference to me between management and leadership is like a smartphone it's a beautiful piece of hardware it's a beautiful piece of hardware it works really well provided it has software inside and a chip and a sim card you know you can you can turn on the phone if you want but if it doesn't have a sim card it's not going to make that call and I was like the person trying so hard, pushing harder and harder to make that phone call, but there was no SIM card inside. And that SIM card, back to your question, is the are the soft skills, is the leadership. It's the difference is the, the programming, the chip, the soft skills are things like understanding culture and how to cultivate that instead of just a strategy. Ma- management is strategy is more management. You've got to have it. Yeah. You've got to have both, right? So, uh, but cult- culture is something that's about building an ecosystem and shaping that for other people to flourish in that environment. And if you don't do that properly, then people will fail and the organization will fail. So a lot of it is, is that as well. Another example of the difference that that I learned between management and leadership is, is thinking about um, about um, the business in teams, thinking about it from a team perspective instead of just a um, a process perspective, right? Thinking about things through people instead of processes. Um, and what I learned at the end of all of this, and, and it was a rapid journey. It was like a six-month learning journey, and I was on board and picked it up really quickly. And, and it was amazing from that point forward. But basically, Monica, leadership to me is how you make others feel. And it's that simple. I don't, I don't overcomplicate things. And, you know, you can, you won't see that definition in a book. It's my definition that I learned uh, the hard way uh, through the ground. And, and since that era with Mike, um, I, and I have people before I met Mike that that um, that view me favorably, and I'm in touch with them, and they they uh, view me as a mentor, and there's a great legacy. But I was able to define for the next ten years of my career, 
um, a um, an everlasting legacy um, of people that feel good. I still have people from Zambia, which which I went to after my time in the UK, that um, several of them contact me every week, just say, "How you doing?" And I do the same thing with them. And and it's been ten it's been over ten years since I worked with. It's been actually ten years this year. Uh, that I've worked with them and, and it's an everlasting legacy and the impact you make on people because of how we made them feel. I don't know if that answers your question. It's a long answer. <laughs> it's a beautiful answer. Yeah. I was, I was really not expecting that definition as such, but yeah, leadership is how you make people feel. You know, the key, the key was, there was a couple of keys. One was uh, people need mentors, right? And, you know, in this case, Mike was my boss, but he, he, he doesn't, another thing about leadership, bosses aren't bosses, right? They're mentors. They're, they, they set you up to succeed, right? They, they, um, they guide you properly. They don't tell you what to do. You know, Mike did all those things. That was important because I was able to learn that and then replicate it across thousands and eventually tens of thousands of people, um, as my career ensued. And it's just a, a powerful concept to, to view the world, um, as that smartphone, right? As the, the software is just as important as the hardware and, and people need to understand you've got to have the hardware because if yeah. you work in a regulated industry, you know, like, like you do even now, and like I did for 30 years, if it's a regulated industry and you don't pay attention to the hardware, the management, you, you know, you're out of business, right? So you've got to do both and learn how to calibrate um, and, and do both at the same time. Yeah. Mm. You, yes, it's like spot on. Like only leadership is not enough. You need to have both strategy and management mm. and leadership. Yeah. But you also mentioned about culture, that culture is about helping your team flourish. How do you do that? Hmm. Yeah, so that that's that's really important. So there's a couple of things. One one is obviously engagement. So you've got to connect with people and understand, you know, as you're building your team and you're, you know, it's one thing to to hire people in or to inherit a team. It's another thing to start to build chemistry, connect the dots and figure out, okay, well, what kind of environment do we want to create for customers? You know, every business has a customer. So, so, so the place to start is with those people that touch the customer where the transaction happens. Right. And, and oftentimes firms make mistakes because I used to call it the steel building syndrome, right? People sit in a tall office building and they formulate the strategy, they bring in consultants and, you know, the, the, there might be a few focus groups, but oftentimes it's overlooked to talk to the people on the front line because they actually know everything. Speak with customers every day. That's right. They speak with customers every day and they, 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 money is made and lost at that level. It's not made and lost in the steel building. Uh, you know, and a lot of people's egos will get squashed by that. But if you look at the best firms around the world, and I'll give you a current, you and I started in in uh, 2006. That's where we started this conversation in the UK. 
But let's fast forward to 2022 right now, the pandemic era. I'll give you an example, Monica, the great resignation. And I think in Europe, some people are calling it the great quit or something like that. Same thing. And people are, people became fed up with deteriorating cultures that some of which were abusive in nature. Others were just kind of ignoring employees. They weren't connected to what was going on in the front line. Then the pandemic hit and then people got locked down into their homes. They got on Zoom, you know, all of this other stuff. And But because this was brewing for such a long time, people didn't quit because they were afraid to. But then when the pandemic happened and they realized, wow, you know, this, it's actually, you know, not as risky to quit as I thought. So that is the root cause. I've talked to over a hundred people in the current economy from around the world. And this is a common thread. So it, the pandemic didn't cause it, but it accelerated it. And back to your point, okay, it's the culture and ignoring um, how people felt. So, so the first step is to connect and understand how people feel, what they're going through, what their pain points are, what they need, and how do you then build a culture? Well, it, it has to start in partnership with those that you're counting on to deliver uh, your product or service, you know, to the in-state customer, because without that, you're going to have situations like the great resignation where you can attempt to digitize and do everything you want, but companies are starting to realize they can't deliver without the employees. Right. Of course. Mm. Yes. And then just to build on that, let's say one of my natural talents is that ability to connect with people. I'm mm. just like a people's person. I yeah, you're, you're great connect. at that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's not just that I talk, I connect with people. You do. Mm-hmm. But even even now that it's like we're not well, for two years that we have not gone to the office, like now even it, everything is on Zoom, it's hard. Even if it's like, it's a natural thing for me. It's like, I find it not that straightforward because you just see someone a few minutes every few days that is very mm. different interacting in the office how do you think managers and leaders across the world can work through that challenge of connecting better on the line mm. because this is just this is going to stay we're not going back to the office 100 percent right. of the time that's right I, I think you're right and that's a very relevant question and that's the one that the, for those firms that get it right they're going to have the best people and, and so I think, how does it happen? Well, it has to, but both parties have to come together, right? And there's a lot of us versus them in the market now, right? So leadership should do this and employees should do this. People should be more open, empathetic. And okay, well, all of that is true. Leadership, however, needs to take the lead on this, right? Um, they have to understand that, as you said, the landscape has changed and it's not going to go back to the way that it was before. It might be a hybrid, you know, we don't know. But the point is they need some flexibility in their culture um, so that they can understand that just because an employee is working from home and has some technology, they shouldn't schedule a Zoom after dinner, 
you know, they didn't do that. They didn't do that before, before the pandemic. But now, now there's a lot of people where that's happening is that there's a zoom scheduled for seven o'clock at night. Uh, maybe the, the manager has had dinner with his or her family and they decide to have a zoom. Well, you know, maybe there's a mother involved, right. That's putting her baby to bed. Okay. After dinner. Right. And just because she's at home doesn't mean that she's available for a Zoom. It's the same thing on a Friday afternoon. I need you to work on this over the weekend. Right. And because, you know, the manager knows, okay, well, they've got the technology. They're there. They're not having to commute to work. Well, people still have lives. Right. So I think a big, so the first part answer to your question because it's a loaded question and obviously some haven't figured out and others don't is to under connect with and understand um, what's happening in the lives of the employees and don't rely on, it's not an HR exercise of relying on a survey. So I use a method that I learned um, called ALA, ask, listen, act. So, to get and it's a get started technique. It doesn't boil the ocean, but what it does is you you we need leadership. Step one to to and you ask the question: How do you do this? Ask people how they're doing, how they feel. What are your struggles? What are your challenges? What irritates you about working from home? What do you like about working from home? What irritates you about me? What am I doing to irritate you? We need to have, let's have an adult to adult conversation. I really want to know. That's the A part, ask. The L part, the L part is just as important, Monica. Listen. So don't get defensive because you're going to, you know, you're asking some, some really personal questions here, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And this is part of, of hopefully building a culture that will be the new culture, right? Where, where you actually ask, because if, if these things were happening and I'll continue in a second, but if if these things were happening, we wouldn't have the great resignation happening. And remember, it's not the pandemic. And it's not just work from home. These things were brewing long before. Okay, there's data that supports this, and that's what's happening. So, and and it's, I'm, I'm getting a little off track here, but uh, one of the reasons is that you have a lot of managers like Brett Packard in the year 2006 that are really good that were promoted to leaders, and expected to cultivate the culture, and they didn't even know what culture was. So they're trying to make that phone call, right? with this great, beautiful device and there's no SIM card and they, they're getting frustrated. Why won't it make the phone call? Well, they need to, they need to develop their own SIM card. Right. And I walked you through my journey and how that happened. And everybody has to go through that. Yeah. Because it's not natural to many people. It's not natural. So, and can it be learned or you're born with it? It can be learned. I walked you through, uh, we talked about what Mike and I did, right? So, so it, it can be learned. It's not, it doesn't have to be in your DNA, but your DNA has to have an open mind, um, the, which is also a, a great characteristic of a leader to learn new things, right? Maybe we can talk about learning in a little bit, but, but back to the L, back to your question. So you ask the questions, the listen part is critical and it's listen. It's not, 
um, responding. You don't respond yet to them. You just listen. You're getting information. You're engaging with them. You're you're carefully understanding, um, and you're building empathy. Right. You're, you're building how you're going to express empathy in the other A, the ALA. The the final A is your action. So after you've asked the questions, you understand, you listen, then what leaders need to do to reshape the culture is to then take action based on what you heard, right? And that's what's so important. And it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, the order of ALA is critically important. There are, there are a lot of cultures that ask, act, and then listen. And they wonder, well, what went wrong? (laughs) So (laughs) that's right. You didn't, you didn't listen or, or there are a lot of cultures that act first and then they're in response mode. They're in response mode. Right. And then it's like, I wonder what happened. Why are people quitting or why aren't people on board for the new strategy? Well, Maybe they weren't engaged, right? So you had asked, anyway, so ALA is a tool. It doesn't solve everything, but it gets you on the right track. And that is similar to, I don't think we called it ALA at the time when when you asked, how did we reshape the culture? But so the main thing we did was we did a whole bunch of things. ALA will get you started to understand what's happening on the front line. That's what we did. And then we built everything around that, right? Uh, we built how we set goals, right? We had, we had um, uh, before there was a lot of sales pressure to, for people to sell it. And it was causing people, before we came in, before Mike came in, actually, it was causing people to do things um, to meet a sales target that may not have been in the customer's best interest. So we completely turned that upside down and we removed the pressure and we tooled up the sales force so that they could set their own goals, right, based on their own aspirations. And so we went from a tops down goal setting to a bottoms up. Anyway, I, I won't get into the details, but what happened over the next couple of years was absolutely amazing. Engagement was was through the roof. Uh, customer satisfaction was through the roof. And believe it or not, the growth was far higher with bottoms up goals instead of tops down goals. Right. And yes. I might've inadvertently used the word target a while ago, but, but we, we also uh, scrapped target from the vocabulary and they were goals, right. And they were more personal goals in nature. And the, the business was there. Barclays bank at the time uh, was there to help them achieve their goals. So all of a sudden, we were reconciled and synchronized with their own purpose. It was amazing, Monica. And then things started to click. Of course. You just read my mind on what I was about to ask, but I think you already answered the question, but we can mm, elaborate sure. on that. That is, how do you motivate people? And you're just like giving us a little bit of a bit of the answer, but it's like what we all see. It's like, hey, I start a new job. Super exciting. <laughs> you start the job and you're like, whoa. Three months, six months, and then it's like eight months, 12 months. And now with LinkedIn, you get like approached like every two weeks or every day. (laughs) 
How do yeah. you keep people motivated? Yeah, and, and, and I'll tell you. Yeah, and I'd love to tell a story if I could, just a few years after the part that we're talking about. So after later, I, I wound up um, uh, very fortunately, um, I was sent to Zambia, right, where I wound up working for living in a hotel for about a year and and transforming the culture of that business, right? And it was a different situation in the UK, but the same methods were applied, right? And these methods, by the way, for those of you watching, listening, that they will, I can put my hand on my heart, spill my brain to you, they'll work in any culture. Now, how you do them might vary from culture to culture, but these concepts that, that Mike uh, taught me and that we did work universally. So anyway, go down to Zambia, all that said, and uh, th there were some issues, a lot of issues there with engagement, so, different than the UK, but a lot of issues disconnected. Employees didn't feel they were part of the situation. They didn't understand how they were paid. The union was, it's not heavily unionized, but it does have a union. There were a lot of questions about, you know, pay, a lot of, it was opaque, right? So anyway, one of the first things that I did, so you talk about how do you inspire people? I said to the leadership team within a couple of weeks of getting there, I want to have a town hall and I want to fill it up with 500, 1,000 people. I forget what the number is now, but we're going to, um, we're going to fill up an auditorium and we're going to put 12 chairs on the stage. I'm going to sit in the middle because I'm the managing director and yeah. all of you are going to sit next to me. And we're going to, we're going to, it's going to be three hours <laughs> and for two hours, we're going to uh, have people out there with microphones and we're going to let people vent and tell us what we should do. It's going to be a listening session. So it's the ask, right? And then the listen, right? And we're not going to do the final A tonight. We're going to then go away and figure out how to do it. So anyway, Monica, we did this. We feel, and, but, but the initial reaction was, oh, <laughs> we can't do this. You know, no, uh, we don't, not. we don't know, you know, we don't know what they're going to say. Um, you know, th this, yeah, let's, <laughs> yeah no. let's not, let's please, let's not do this. Right. We can go around the country and do focus. Group. And I said, no, we're going to do this. Okay. Uh, because I also wanted to visibly show, in addition to hearing, I wanted to visibly show that things are going to change, right? And we're going to turn this upside down a bit, and we're going to all get on the same page. So anyway, we did it, and it was pretty bad for the first couple of hours, right? And the third hour, I spoke, and I didn't commit to doing anything, but what I did commit to, I committed to one thing. Nothing specific, but I committed to them and I spoke for an hour about this and it inspired everybody. We spoke about that we're going to build a culture. I don't know what it looks like yet, right? Because we're going to go away and take all this feedback and frustration that you have. Some people were yelling at us, right? Um, during, during the first two hours, we're going to take all this feedback, digest it. We're going to be humbled by it. Okay, we're a bit humbled right now anyway, because it was a rough two hours. And we're going to formulate a plan and we're going to track every one of these items. And we're going to shape a culture that's built for all of us, right? For 
for the for for you the employee leadership we need to be one we're all employees right so right now there it's us versus them so we're going to come together and then we're going to reshape it for the customer we're going to reshape it for the community we're going to reshape it for the regulator we're going to reshape it for the shareholder and that and that inspired everybody and we came up with uh, something that that was um, how do we wind up making everything much easier for everybody okay including the customer right and and part of that started with transparency okay around compensation around uh, how do we how do we set goals right and so we I replicated what we did in the UK and it was just absolutely amazing right um, how we did it that way. And anyway, the business transformed and we did, we transformed a big part of that business in 10 months. And, and it was just amazing. And I remember we had seniors coming in, flying in from London. They were doing a tour of Africa and they came in, Bob, Di- Bob Diamond was one of them. And they came in and, and they had, we had a big town hall, Anthony Jenkins at yeah. the time. And, yeah. and we had a big yeah. town hall, Ashok Faswani. They, they all came in and after we did this big town hall, and it was exactly the opposite of what that initial session. We then brought in, uh, you know, our, our people leader, our HR leader, which I've known. I've known her for many years as well. She's she's in Mexico, and she uh, she uh, she came from uh, yeah, working in a lot of industries in in Latin America, Argentina, Brazil, and. And Mexico, our operations leader, I also met her at Bombardier, uh, her name is Sanji, and she came from as well, great, great experience, automotive and running big projects. And and, and, and she was, she loved the idea as well. Yeah. So, you know, we've set up a great, uh, great team. We great have team. great advisors as well. And, uh, and yeah, so it, it sort of started uh, organically started like that as an idea. Juan told me, uh, Juan told me the idea and I loved it. And, and so I said, no, I don't want to just, you know, give you advice. I'm, I'm, I'm all in. And then, I mean, <laughs> uh, I'm in. Uh, and so when do we start? And, and, and so that's how we started. So I guess, you know, we're, we're all late stage in, in our career, mid, mid yes. to late stage, mature. but I wouldn't say late mature. Stage. that's mature. a good word, but um, you know, I fortunately, even though I've been in big companies all of my career, I've, uh, I've uh, been really fortunate to be able to have a bit, I think a bit like, like you to have the, the opportunity to start something up in, in these companies. So I had sort of the entrepreneur, um, uh, I guess spirit and 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 experience, which is not common necessarily in big big companies. But I was able to when we started the Mexico project in 2006. It was the first time that Bombardier set up a, a facility in a new country. Bombardier had always grown through acquisition, and I started the whole supply chain activity down there. So uh, creating a supplier development team and and uh, and and creating an organization to deal with local suppliers, which we never had because Bombardier had the same suppliers from Canada and the U.S. for you know 20 years. And yes. so it was new, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, n- n- um, so you're saying basically you worked in corporate for a long time, but you were an entrepreneur and you started yeah. like huge projects, right? Huge projects from zero. Yes, which is amazing. I love, I love doing that. So it's like it's amazing. And then basically you left corporate to start this company from scratch. Mm-hmm. Yes. We, you and I know, same as any entrepreneur starting something from scratch, we know it's not an easy ride. No, <laughs> it is complex. <laughs> and it is. I would say difficult. And sometimes it's emotionally difficult as well because there's many, many influences, right? Yes. Just to make the company successful and to keep it growing. 
and keeping people happy, like it is complex, especially in a regulated uh, industry as well. Yes, you can do whatever yes. with electricity, Indeed. just like with banking. So Indeed. in the corporate, even though you had a lot of entrepreneur spirit, you still had a lot of support from the company, teams and budgets and all that stuff. In a startup, 100%. you don't have that. How did you manage your mindset? What are the things that you've learned? Because that is key for success. <laughs> yeah. Good, uh, yeah, it's it's a good good reflection, and that's exactly the the challenge. Like in a startup, you're really you're doing you're doing everything. I think you know. First of all, you have to be really really uh, passionate and, and committed to to the mission of what you're doing because it's it's yeah. it's rough at the beginning. Um, by you know the, the the nature of when you're starting something that doesn't exist, you need to engage everyone. You need to hire people. You need to get investors. You need customers. And at the beginning, you're an idea. You're a PowerPoint, right? You're a, you're a concept. And so you know you're gonna get for everyone that you engage and try to bring on board, whether it's investors, you're gonna get you know uh, nine. Nine no's for every one yes, or or uh, you know, or probably an actually higher percentage, you know, ninety-five no's for every five yeses. So you know, it it can be a bit a bit rough at uh, at the beginning, but if you really believe in 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 what you're doing, um, and you say you know, and, and you learn that that's normal, obviously in a in a startup, so you don't you don't take it as oh okay maybe my idea is no good, or it's you don't take it personal. Either you take it as that's part of the journey, right? And and obviously it's not for everyone it's not 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 every customer is the right fit not every uh, not every corporate partner not every investor obviously is the the right fit or maybe you know they're investing more in the US Canada Mexico or Latin America or emerging markets is not their thing or or vice versa or so you know you just need to see it as as part of the journey and sort of anticipate that um yeah a lot more things are going to go wrong we've had a lot of you know pulling our hairs because there's an issue with with our first version of the app or it took longer to create the kind of product that we want Wanted. So it's, you know, it, it's it's, uh, it's it hasn't been our first rodeo. Obviously, on developing tech or or even in, in house, I had uh, the fortune. I honestly the fortunate experience of of being very involved in software development in aerospace, which is obviously crazy, crazy yeah, complex, complex and millions of line of code. Yes. And so, I, I I know sort of in that sense, I was I was curado de espantos. We say in Spanish, like I've I've seen the the You've worst the and worst. so uh, the worst delays and and so you know I, I my expectations I guess were were tempered and oh, so you know when we say three four month delay in in getting our apps released uh, relative to years of delays in aerospace programs <laughs> it's uh, you know it's not that bad but obviously it's four months in the life of a startup it's it's, it's a huge, lot right we've been That's operating for a year so <laughs> so you need to find that balance between. You know, really driving um, things because otherwise everything will just take longer. And if you just accept sort of the the you know the the, the context and the limitations of the context, you don't you don't get off ground. So you need to really push and, and drive, but you also need to you know uh, adjust and be flexible and accept that some things will not go as planned. And and that's why the famous pivot, as they call it in startups, where you you thought you were going this way and you make a uh, an adjustment in, in strategy doesn't change your mission, doesn't change what you're ultimately uh, striving towards. But the way you're going to get there, it's also you're taking a, a side road or a, or a, you know a shortcut or or a different, just a different road. Um, you know that's that's part of it. So I think it's uh, it's yeah having a great team so that when you're having those bad days.
least you can, you know, you're all together and, and, and you're supporting each other yes. and being very, very committed to what you're doing, really believing in, in your idea. Um, that's why, you know, it's, it's not easy, as you said. And, and yeah, nine out of 10 startups fail or, or more. I've heard 19 out of, out of 20 fail. Uh, I think, fortunately, you never, you, you never take anything for granted every day as, as uh, Jeff Bezos said, every day is kind of day one. Um, you still drive, um, obviously, for that success. But I think we're sort of over that that first hump, and we're having a lot of uh, traction. So we're very, very excited about what we're doing. That is amazing. Uh, now that you say that, I agree. I totally agree with what you said. Like by the way, it's like mm -hmm. it's that mix of mindset. And now you're like, okay, we, we're past the first sprint of toughness. You yes. build the company, and now you're starting to be more of a scale up. You are starting to grow. You have like processes in place, investors, teams, all of that. You have like a working product. It's good. Mm -hmm. you're, you're growing. What is the change in your mindset moving from a super startup, early age, early stage startup to a more fast growing one? Um, we're probably, I mean, I think we're still, we would still be considered early stage because we are sort of going into our, uh, into our seed round, but we've, I think we've done, we've done a lot. Yes. We've done a lot in, in, in our, in our early stage. So I think, you know, we're, we're in, in, in strong footing to your point. I do see that, that sort of mindset uh, changing. And I reflect every day as I'm sort of walking or coming into the office or out, like, uh, where do I need to spend more, more time? And there's a, there's a swing, obviously, you know, uh, six months ago where we were just starting and doing a, a pilot and a proof of concept was spending more time with, with investors earlier on. Now I spend more time with, uh, with a team on our operational processes and how do we ready to, to how do we get uh, more ready uh, to, to scale up more and to, and to ramp up. Um, I spend more time obviously on, on, on recruiting because now we are, we're almost doubling the, the team size in the next few weeks in, in Mexico. And so, um, yeah, yeah, I think it's 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 still that balance where you know uh, the founding team and, and and obviously the CEO and and everyone there is doing a bit of everything, but you need to start now being like okay, it's it's that beginning of okay now I need to really delegate. I need this to well. let go. <laughs> I need it. to let go of this, and so you know it's uh. Yeah, it's, it's obviously easier said than done on, on many things. But, you know, at the beginning, obviously, we were involved in everything, right? From right, right. Where, from our contracts to how we how we prepare a proposal so that we can then automate that in our app. But sort of even the graphics that we use and and the, the Solfium uh, logo, uh, obviously, we got, we got engaged some people, but it was sort of our ideas, right, of, yeah. of the, the Solfium symphony, by the way, and playing with words of Solfium from the Sol and and fume and 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 solfage or solfeo. Um, so so there was a lot of playing words, but like from the from even like the basic as our name as our logo, right? We were involved to to every single detail, and now you know we have it. We have a bigger team, and we need to. Yes. You need to. So let go it's, but it's a balance. It's a balance. Yes, yeah. it is. So as we're approaching towards wrapping up the conversation, what's your dream? Um. In in this in this context, because obviously I have many dreams, including uh, things oh, yeah. for, for my family and my uh, and my uh, and my, uh, my daughter and, and many things. But um, you know, I I I do I do um, I do um, see us being a, a, a reference 
uh, platform, just like just like Uber is for ride hailing. Uh, but we don't need to be the biggest one in the in the world. To be honest, that's not really about that. This is an industry, fortunately, that's not a winner takes all. We're not trying to get someone out of the market. You know, everything adds. We have a whole planet to make sustainable. Yes. So you know. Our competitors, you uh, I mean, some are technically competitors, others are more collaborators and partners, um, oh. and others are, and others are just, you know, I, 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 the world is so big, there's so much to do that, you know, I'm not, I'm not losing, losing my mind. We really, really focus on how do we do the, the best, um, what, how do we offer the best experience to consumers? Uh, and so I do see us kind of becoming a, a, a bigger multinational, being present in many countries and bringing our solution. And, and if it's not us and it's in a different country, it's someone else that had a similar idea uh, themselves or they copied us because they, they heard this podcast and then they went into our website. And they say, "Hey, I'm going to do the same thing." By all means, right? It's a, it's a, it's it's a, it's a massive world. It's not a winner takes all. Um, you know, all these all our companies can be sustainable and and make a decent profit for for investors and have a huge impact on on society. I think I mentioned to you briefly. We had a great project uh, for a, a bakery co-op that employs uh, you know women in 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 in, uh, in precarious conditions and and people with disabilities. We were able to get an NGO to help us finance that, and we and we financed that so that we could put uh, panels for them at no cost. Uh, and and we want to do many many other projects like uh, like that and then we're in discussions with many partners there's a lot to do there's a whole world as i say yes, to make more sustainable so um i see us being you know a big player in in that but it's not really about being number one or about you know uh winning it's it's we will all win so uh, you know we just want we just see a future where there will be panels in every roof just like there's TVs and refrigerators in almost every home, um, right? And, and and it became ubiquitous. Uh, even even low-income homes are able to have a, a fridge or a yeah. TV. Um, you know, uh, solar solar energy has that same bright future. The challenge and what we're focusing on is 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 making that transition fast because we don't have five decades right to make this transition. We need to do it a lot a lot faster. So that's our our focus. And every company that jumps on board and brings a solution to the solar or the same solution that we do, by all means, let's uh, let's sumar uh, fuerzas as they say. In, in Mexico, which is a great expression, let's you know jo uh, join together and and make this yeah. make this happen. Yeah, I absolutely love it because it's it's like a, if I summarize it, what I take out of that, it's like the dream is just like to win win. There's like so absolutely. much to do. There's like so much impact that absolutely. can be done, and not only helps the planet but also helps like real people. You know, like yeah. their economy and like everything. Oh, it's yeah. The last, the last quick, uh, quick anecdote on, on a couple of projects that we had done for small convenience stores, and these are micro businesses, family owned, um, right? That uh, that they they live there, even some of them in the second floor, and uh, we were able to get uh, so far a few projects done, and the savings that they get from solar now, we got financing as well. Um, the savings that they're having now per month, uh, you know, it's 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 money that they're able to finally invest and grow more their business and maybe add a fridge and sell more products or have a bit of a wider selection or, you know, invest in putting something nicer and, and grow their business. This is extra money that they didn't have before. So these are, to, to your point, they're win-win-win. They're, they're, they're winning the planet. They're saving money. They're able to invest in their, in their business. Uh, in the case of the bakery co-op, the lady told us, you know, this means I can immediately hire one 
one more person. I have money now to pay one more salary because of my savings on electricity. That that's one more you know person that now has a has a job that was maybe you know in a difficult condition before. It's impactful. We want to scale it up, but these 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 are win win win. So uh, that's what we're uh, that's what we're focusing on. Amazing. I love it. Cool. Good. <laughs> so where can we find you and find out more about Solfium and what you do? Perfect. So the easiest to, to remember, Will, is uh, solfium.com, obviously, but uh, but uh, I mean, obviously through through LinkedIn, we're, we're active. I'd, I'd love to connect with anyone that wants to, to share feedback, uh, you know, follow us and, and connect with uh, with us, with me. And and uh, yeah, Solfium, uh, sorry. Uh, so yeah, the website and, and our LinkedIn is, is the easiest one. We will be launching other social media, more, more specific in the markets that we're operating but you know generally uh on a wider scale linkedin and in, in our website is is the way to go amazing i will add all of that in the notes in the, Great. In the podcast as well cool Good. it's been an absolute pleasure same here you, it's Andres. been a great pleasure great way for me to start the day i know it's the oh, end of the yeah. day for you in, in malaysia but uh, but i'm very uh, very pumped and uh yeah let's uh let's let's do this let's get yeah. going amazing all the very great. best and same everyone, to you. thanks again for the invite no thank you everyone i hope you enjoyed the episode and speak with you next week thank you bye 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 that years after even they don't work in the same organization they still come to you and they see you as someone that they admire yeah i mean i get yeah. on linkedin every day right and i actually i'm not pretending to do anything but i actually view that as look i'm i'm a leader so I'm going to give advice as though this whole LinkedIn community, it's a business and we're running it together. And that's my mindset going in. So I will, last night I felt like posting something because I saw some posts from other people that weren't, I'm not going to say they were unkind, but they, they were a bit harsh, right? And so I made a 15, a 13 second video, right? Last night um, on spur of the moment after I saw this post on how to build trusted relationships with somebody uh, basically by showing empathy without using the word empathy, because I think too many people are using that word and it's becoming a buzzword. So I, I basically said empathy in a different way, right? That, you know, how do you, how do you build? Well, you're kind to everybody and you show sensitivity. You, you put yourself in their shoes. To me, that's good enough for empathy. And I don't need to use the word empathy, right? So, and then somebody somebody on Instagram re replied to my thing and said, well, Brett, you should just say empathy, right? Okay, well, that's fine. That's what it is. It's okay, right? But I want to make sure that people understand um, what is empathy, right? Instead, It's beyond a buzzword. Yes, it is. And actually, now that you say LinkedIn and your videos, like you've been posting lately, like, parts of, the, of your journals. It's fascinating yeah. to see, oh, Japan. Oh, so this is an interesting here, story. Yeah. It is so cool. Yeah. So, so maybe just for your listeners, um, um, those that know me know the genesis of this, but back in 19, so I started my career in 1987, right? And um, in, in Las Vegas with City. And in 1988, I was fortunate enough to, to see a Jim Rohn seminar. Jim Rohn, 
for those of you that don't know, I know Monica, you know, but uh, Jim Rohn was, is, was, he, he's passed away, unfortunately, is Tony Robbins' mentor. So that's Jim Rohn. So he kind of knows what he's doing. And anyway, fortunate. So he, so I did a lot of things. Uh, my philosophy, I learned, I formulated a big part of my philosophy from him. Anyway, um, back to the, the journal of the diary. He said, one of the things he said, keep a journal. It's, it's the best part of your library. Write it down. Don't, and I remember this is a quote from him, not me. Don't treat your brain like a filing cabinet. Write it down. Because as the years go by, you just might forget. So I did it. 30 years, 89 books, handwritten. Not fa- It doesn't need to be fancy. Everybody always says, oh, what kind of software should I get and all that? Look, pencils, paper clips, and paper is the best yeah. way. And at the yeah. end of the day, just write down a concept, right? So today, I uh, right before this uh, podcast, right, coming on with you, I, um, I uh, uh, whipped something out from 2005 in Asia. I was in Singapore and was talking to the investment uh, or the wealth heads. We call it investment, but the wealth management heads of uh, 12 countries, right? With this was city. And I was a regional head and, and some things weren't getting through is the background of the story. But the concept that came out about that, what you'll see on my feed is that if you're talking to somebody and attempting to make your point, talk in their language. And that's metaphorically speaking, not literally speaking. So put yourself in their shoes, right? If you're trying to make a point, don't keep pounding your point if they're not going to understand what it is, right? Um, so, so you need to put it in their terms so they can see it in their world. And that way, anyway, back to your point, that was the point of my post today. Right. And, and how can you, how can you, uh, if you have a point to communicate, how can you communicate it where other people will understand it? That's really the point, right? Yeah. Awesome. I am conscious of time and I could keep talking like for five hours. Yeah. This is fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I know. I'm like, yes. So, but as we, as we start to wrap up the episode, because I see that both of us, we can talk forever. What do you, what comes to your mind as final remarks for anyone? Yeah, I I think, I think um, what's on my mind now, and I know what's going to be on a lot of people's mind when they hear the, when, when they hear the podcast, right? Monica is, okay, so I heard all this stuff. A lot of it sounds good. ALA and, and a smartphone and a SIM card. So what, what, how can I use this today? Right? Because at the end of the day, um, I believe something else Mike taught me is that leaders need to be relevant. Right. And so how can we, how Monica, how can you and I take this one hour of somebody's time? They're, they're investing an hour in us, right? How can we be relevant to them? So what I would say is that, okay, Worldwide, everybody, somehow the pandemic's affecting every single person on this planet right now. So how can we take all of this and, and be relevant? Well, in, from, a, from a, a job, work environment perspective or personal perspective, my parting words would be for everybody listening to this to ask yourself the question on everything that you're doing now, the what what you're doing, right? 
pause for a moment and think for five days about how could you do that differently? How is, is the emphasis here? Not, not the what, right? We all have the what's, right? And everybody has a different what. So I'm not, I'm not worried about that because all of you listening to this have things to do, right? But I'd ask you to think and ask yourself the question, debate it with yourself. How could you do things differently? Because the world's changed, right? Your environment's changed. Your, your bosses may have changed. Your, the culture of your company, maybe it's not so good. So how could you do some things to improve things for you? Now, that might involve leaving your company and, find, and getting resourceful, like that woman in Thailand in 1998 that we spoke about. Be resourceful. Be different. Get your get your resume updated. Start networking. Reach out to. I treat LinkedIn as a library, right? And I I, I literally view it, Monica, as a library where where once a day I'll pick a person like Monica Malaris, and I'll I'm going to study your newsfeed for thirty minutes. Do you? I do. Oh, yeah, I've great. done that on you. I've done that on you. Yeah. And it's not a pass or fail, but I want to learn about, because I believe in relationships, right? And so one way, but yet not everybody has time in in their life to have, you know, oh, I got to do a Zoom, got to do a phone call. I want to have three calls with you this week. You know, not everybody can do that, right? So, so there are ways, again, like the woman in Thailand I mentioned, I told that story for a reason. We can be resourceful. So that's being pretty resourceful on LinkedIn. So if you think about it, that's five people a week, right? Just on a five-day week, half an hour each. You know a lot about that person and their philosophy after doing it that way. So so I would so that's an example of the how, back to your question. So not the what, but how can you do things differently? So can you take an hour of your day? and learn something new. And I've just given everybody a great idea on how they yeah. could learn something new. Pick five people. You know, that's 20 people a month. I guarantee you, you study their news feed for 30 minutes, five people a day for a month. You're going to learn something new and you're going to have a ton of new ideas. And that's an example of how you can do things differently. Does that make, and you don't have to quit your job. You can do this while having your job and still you need the income, but then you might just be ready after a few months of doing this to, I'm, I don't like this job, this culture, and I'm going to go create a better future for myself. And now you've picked up skills and you've met people that you've learned their philosophy. You then can, you don't have to copy what they do, right? But you can take bits and pieces of the different people that you, that's 20 people after a month. There's a lot to learn right there. So that's yes, how that's I would answer good. your question, Monica. Yeah. That yeah. is a beautiful, beautiful piece mm. of advice. And I think it's like, just like great to <laughs> wrap up the conversation. Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, Brett. Oh, like, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom. You're very it's welcome. I, it's my, thank you pleasure. for having me, and and I'm 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 happy to come back anytime. 
Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I could talk like for another five hours. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Brett. And everyone, hope you enjoyed. Do remember to listen to the episode again and pick one idea that resonates the most and put it into action. And in the meantime, enjoy and see you next week. Bye. Thank you.